Let's go ahead and turn in our Bibles to um, Luke chapter 5. We're going to be in verses 1 through 11. Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. And let's, let's go ahead and stand for the reading of God's Word. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him, To hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered and said, Master, We toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners on the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled the boat or filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me. For I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. You can go ahead and take your seats. One of, um, one of the best things, in my opinion, about living in Anne Arundel County is our proximity to the Chesapeake Bay. Um, you can drive 20 minutes and, and go to a beach on the Chesapeake Bay, spend the day, um, a lot of opportunities for fishing. Um, one of the marks of the spring season in our area is the opening day of trophy rockfish season. Um, I've had the opportunity to go out on opening day a number of times. Um, one, partic- one time in particular, I believe it was um, back in 2016. Um, it was a Saturday morning. Um, we got out around 6 a.m. We got our li- lines out in the water uh, and started fishing. Now, the opening day of rockfish season is a really exciting time. Um, it's a great time um, for eating food on the boat, um, telling stories and all that kind of st- stuff. Oftentimes, it's just not a very good fishing day. Uh, the fish, you're, you're trying to catch really big ones, and there's not a lot of really big fish in the bay. So we got the lines out around 6 a.m. The lines stayed out. We were trolling, so that means your lines just, you wait until the fish, fish comes on. Our lines stayed in the water. Um, noon, 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock, we did not catch a thing. It was one of the most boring days of fishing that I've ever experienced. So finally around 4 Four o'clock in the afternoon. I mean, we've been out for like 10 hours at this, t- at this point. 10 hours, yeah, 10 hours. Um, 10 hours, and we were just like done. So we're like, all right, we're going back to the marina. Um, we were trying to figure out how we could maybe like 
go to a store and buy a rockfish. So when we got back, because we we're supposed to do a fish fry that night, um, like how can we make it look like we didn't get skunked and all this. So we're headed back, and then all of a sudden, fish on. And I had the opportunity to reel in a 40-inch rockfish, biggest fish I've ever caught. So our patience had paid off. After 10 hours, we got our fish, and we were so happy. In our passage today, a number of fishermen find themselves in a very similar situation. However, their patience did not pay off. Peter, James, and John had been up all night fishing in the Sea of Galilee. So just think about it for a minute. It's likely that there's no wind. There's no wind at night. So they had to row out to where they wanted to fish. Then they had to throw their nets out. Very large nets. And when you throw the net out into the water, you have to pull it in. And a net in the water, it gets waterlogged and it's heavy. It's heavy to pull in even without any fish in it. All right? So they had to pull that in. And then they did it again. And they just repeating this process all night long. And they caught absolutely nothing. So the sun comes up, they go into shore, and they have to start the arduous task of fixing, fixing their nets and preparing them for the following night. So they're mending knots and tears and getting everything ready for the next night. You would think that they were probably utterly exhausted at this point. So up walks Jesus, a huge crowd's following him. The crowd is very excited and expectant to hear Jesus teach. It says that it says in our passage that the proud, crowd is pressing in on him. So he asked to borrow Simon Peter's boat for a couple of reasons, I would imagine. Number one, remember Jesus is human so he's probably, he wasn't super excited about all these people pressing up on him. He, wanted, he needed a little space. And number two, because Jesus knew that your voice carries better over water. So he's trying to talk to a large group of people, gets out on water, his voice carries, carries better on the water. So after all this, Jesus, Jesus teaches this expectant crowd. He finishes teaching and he goes over to Peter and says, Hey, Peter, put out into the deep. Go back out. Take your nets that you just fixed for the night. Put out into the deep and let them down for a catch. And Peter immediately says, Think about this, okay? If you've read Scripture... Just imagine Peter, the disciple Peter. He says, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. Have you ever had someone try to give you advice in an area that you have a lot of expertise? It can be really annoying and painful. I think we could all, we've all probably experienced that at some point. So this must have been how um, Simon Peter felt at this time. He's an expert fisherman. Not only that, he's probably spent his whole life in the Sea of Galilee. This guy knew where the fish would be if the fish were out there. He probably tried all the spots that he knew the night before and came up empty. And here's Jesus 
someone for all he knew had never been fishing before telling him to go in the middle of the day you don't catch fish in the middle of the day peter knows this and then they they're exhausted they just spent they just came in and finished and they they had they fixed their nets and now they're gonna have to do it all again go out and then come back in and do it all all again come on jesus but notice this in the midst of peter's inward consternation he addresses jesus with respect he says master at your word i will let down the nets so how often do we do this we read a command in scripture and we think to ourselves okay if you say so instead of just trusting the word of the master so moving along verse six it says in they go out into the, um, into the Sea of Galilee, and it says, when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. And they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. So Peter goes out, and he is probably so skeptical and probably pretty annoyed. Why am I doing this? This is ridiculous. And then he feels something. He starts pulling that and he feels something that gets heavier and heavier and heavier. <coughs> Excuse me. It's so heavy that he's struggling to pull it in. He calls to um, James and John on the, on the shore and says, guys, come on. And they, they bring their, their, their other boat. At some point, as they're doing this, and as the, the nets are breaking and the, the boats are filling up with fish, they must have realized that this wasn't just a really good catch, that this was something extraordinary. What was happening, and how was this happening? Brothers and sisters, it was happening because the divine power of Jesus was on display. That's our first point, the divine power of Jesus. You see, Jesus made those fish. He made the, fish that the, he made the lake that the fish lived in. Jesus knew where the fish were. He's omniscient. He knows all things. When the nets hit the water, the fish obeyed the bidding of their creator. Peter was skeptical of Jesus' command. Those fish were not. They immediately obeyed, no questions asked. You see, Jesus has power and control over all creation, even the fish of the sea, and he's establishing here in chapter 5, continuing of Luke, he's continuing to establish himself as the God-man through this miracle. So what's Peter's response? This was obviously the, I mean, had to be the biggest catch that he's ever experienced. I mean, you could imagine Peter could have thought, ah, you know, he, this is his business, this is his livelihood. He could have thought, he could have said something like, oh, hey, hey, Jesus, we'll give you 80% of our business if you c come down to the lake and do this every week. Or, no, not, not eight, make it 90. But this is not even close to his response. It's the total opposite. Peter's response is one of total awe 
and utter terror. In verse 8 it says, But when, when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. He says, Jesus, go away. Why? Why does he say this? Why does Peter say this? For I am a sinful man, O Lord. I am a sinful man, O Lord. You see, Simon Peter came face to face with the glory and majesty and holiness of God. And he was immediately confronted with and aware of his sin. So much so that he could not even stand in the presence of Jesus. He fell to his knees. Peter was in the presence of the God-man, the Holy One. And he says, get away, get away from me. This is a scene that repeats itself throughout Scripture. In Job, uh, Job had a similar experience. In Job 42, verses 5 and 6, he says, I heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Isaiah in Isaiah 6, he sees the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and he falls face down and immediately utters, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. John in Revelation 1, verse 17, after seeing the glory of the Lord, says this, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. And now it's happening to Peter. His eyes had seen the power and glory of the Lord. And he falls face down. So what's Jesus' response? Jesus could have taken the opportunity to tell Peter that he was absolutely right. Peter, you are a sinful man. You're crazy. You're a mess. And Peter, there are, there are real consequences for sin. Let me tell you. Instead, Jesus says four words. He says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. In those four words, we see Jesus' love on display. We see his care. We see his kindness. Jesus knew that Peter's heart was being changed. With those words, Jesus assures Peter that his sins are forgiven and calls Peter to something. What does, what does Jesus call Peter to? He says, today I am calling you to be fishers of men. This is our second point. The first, our first point was the divine power of Jesus. The second point is the call of Jesus. Today I am calling you, Peter and James and John, to be fishers of men. So if you look, look here at, at the Greek, I'm not a Greek, um, I don't know Greek very well. 
But it's a combination of two Greek words. One means alive, and the other means um, to catch or to hunt. So Jesus is saying, Peter, I'm calling you to catch men to life. Not men to death, which you do when you fish. You catch fish and then you kill them and you eat them. I'm calling you to catch men and bring them to life. Life in me. I'm calling you, Peter, to be, out, be about my kingdom, the kingdom work. I'm calling you, Peter, to something greater than what you're doing. I'm calling you, Peter, to follow me. So what, what, what do they do? What do they do? It says, and when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. So think about it. Peter's just had this, this experience. He's seen the glory and majesty of God, of Jesus on display. He's felt the kindness and love of Jesus. And he, they have been completely overwhelmed and changed. They left everything. They walked away from the greatest catch of their lives. They walked away from their boats, their nets, and their livelihoods. They left it all for Jesus. They had experienced the divine power of Jesus. They had experienced his kindness, and they had been divinely called by this Jesus, and nothing was going to stand in the way of following him. So, brothers and sisters, let's get to the point. What are we going to do with this? Three marks of a disciple that we see in our text today. Three marks of a disciple. Mark number one, a disciple of Jesus stands in awe. I think a lot of times we, we jump right to the command, the commands that we see in Scripture. It's really easy. For us to wrap our minds around something practical. Okay, I believe in Jesus and he wants me to do this, so I'll do that. Oftentimes we forget the importance of knowing the one that we're following, of understanding who he is. Okay? The number one mark of a disciple is standing in awe of who God is of who Jesus is. Jesus is the God-man. He's the Holy One. He is perfect in all of His ways. If we don't see Him for who He truly is, as Peter did, if we don't see His holiness and His utter perfection, we'll never be able to understand who we are, and we'll never be able to then see our utter imperfection. We are full of sin and we cannot stand in God's presence. That is where things begin in our quest to follow Jesus. That is where it starts. It's only when we, we stand in awe and we see our sin for what it is that the power of the gospel can impact our lives. 
So brothers and sisters, we must start here. We must stand in all of God. We must have a big view of Jesus. We must know his character, his holiness and perfection and his love and who we are in light of that or we'll never want to follow him. Okay, so this is a side note. Remind yourself of the character of God regularly, like every day, in prayer, in meditation. Who he is, he's omniscient. He knows all things. He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He's eternal. He lives outside of time. He's full of love. He loves us. Start there. Remind yourself of who he is. It's there that we, be, we will want to follow. Mark number two of a disciple. A disciple of Jesus catches people. A disciple of Jesus catches people. So we're called to share the gospel with the lost and hurting world around us, to bring the light of Jesus wherever we go. Jesus' call to Peter, James, and John that day didn't stop with them. It extends to us also. We see this in Matthew 28, after Jesus' death and resurrection, he says this. After taking a drink of water. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So how are we going to obey this call of Jesus? I think we know we have a basic understanding. We're, we're supposed to be bring the light of Jesus wherever we go, into our workplaces, um, into our neighborhoods, our interactions with everyone, grocery store, wherever. Bring the light of Jesus. Bring the light of the gospel. But I wanted to take, take a moment real quick to just remind us that a group of people from Living Hope last fall spent um, some time discussing and shaping ways, practical ways, that we as a church could reach our, our communities for Jesus. I just want to remind you of that. As the temperatures are warming up and spring season is starting, there's going to be more opportunities, more people are going to be up, so I want to take this opportunity to remind us. So we can be catching people. At the heart of what we landed on was that reaching our communities for Jesus is not something that like the church as a whole does, like Adam does, and then we just kind of follow along. No, it's something that we're all part of. Each individual has the task of obeying the Great Commission. So instead of coming up with a massive, intricate plan, um, we just tried to keep it simple. God has placed each of us in bubbles, bubbles of interaction. Our work, our neighbors, our communities, 
and sport, sports and extracurricular activities. So engage in your bubbles of interaction and catch people as you do it. As you're engaging in those bubbles, pray for those people, pray for that, um, that coworker, pray for that neighbor that you've had interactions with. We've just, as it, like temperatures are warming up, we have a, a, um, a neighbor that lives a couple doors up. They have two small kids and they're always out in the front yard and we're always out in the front yard in the afternoons after work. And we just had some really cool opportunities over the last week or two or three because we really haven't had a winter. Um, so it's been warm. Um, to just get to know them. And it's been, it's been really good. And so we're starting to think, like, how can we, they seem open. Um, how can we and maybe invite them to church, have them over for a cookout, all those kind of things. This is what we're, this is, this is, it's simple. We're not asking you to walk up to someone and take them through the Romans road right then and there. That would be good, but we're not asking, asking, just interact with the people in your bubbles. Show them the light of Jesus. Pray for them. Look for ways that you can share the gospel, share the love of Jesus with them. So that's one practical way we as a church can, as, and as disciples of Jesus, can catch people, can be about catching people. One more great opportunity we have is um, to reach our communities corporately. One of the things we came up, we came up with two big events that we're going to do. The, the first one we've already done, and we'll be doing again this Christmas season, is our Christmas celebration. We had over 20 people from outside of our church, from our communities at that event. That's awesome. They got to hear the gospel of Jesus. That is awesome. Praise God. The next event we have is, will be held in the Vadala's backyard on June 28th through 30th. We're calling it a kid's camp, basically a mini VBS. And we're going to be talking to these kids about Jesus. We're going to be talking about the power of Jesus, his kindness, and his love. It's going to be an all-hands-on-deck event for us. But again, this is another opportunity we as a church have to catch people because that is a mark of discipleship that we see in our text today. So there will be more information about that event, but I just wanted to get it out there, get the ball rolling on that. I'm really excited. It's going to be, we have a lot of kids and our kids know a lot of kids and we're hoping all the kids come and all the parents come and we can love on them and show them Jesus. Mark number three that we see in our text today of discipleship. A disciple of Jesus forsakes all things that get in the way of following him, of following Jesus. If you want to follow Jesus, you've got to let it all go. Full surrender. What does that mean? Maybe it's a besetting sin. Something you've been struggling with for a long time. You just can't can't fix it. You've been trying. Maybe it's just the love of this world, the love of money, of material things. Maybe you've put all your effort into trying to create your identity by the world's standards. Through your, through your job or 
or through the car you drive or through the house you have or through how much money you have. Instead of making your identity in Jesus. Maybe it's time for you to surrender that identity and let Jesus be your identity. Or maybe it is something bigger. Maybe it is something like a job change or a career shift. I just want to say, Jesus has power over all creation, and he has power to change you. Call on him. Forsake all things that get in the way of following Jesus. So for Simon Peter, James, or for Simon Peter, James, and John, this meant literally this forsaking all things literally meant forsaking their profession, professions, their vocations as fishermen. They could not continue on as fishermen and be Jesus' disciples. Jesus was calling them into full-time ministry that would last the rest of their lives. They didn't know what they were getting into. They didn't know what the journey, what the journey that they didn't know what the journey would look like that they were about to embark on. They didn't know that one day they would give up their lives for this Jesus. They didn't have the finished canon of Scripture. They didn't know the real purpose of why Jesus had really come to earth. They didn't know how the story was going to end, but they knew this. They knew that they had just been in the presence of the divine, and that was enough. They left everything and followed him. Brothers and sisters, we have been given the, canon of, the full canon of Scripture, we know how the story is going to end. Jesus has saved us from our sin. He has made a way for us to be right with God. He was mocked. He was beaten. He walked a sinless life on, here on the earth, experiencing all that we experienced. He was nailed to a cross, nails piercing his hand and feet, a spear thrust into his side. This Jesus has taken our sin on himself and he stands at the right hand of God making intercession for us. And he has done it all so we can be free from sin and we can follow him. So living hope, let us be a people that forsake all to follow this Jesus. Let's pray. Oh God. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that it is sharper than any two-edged sword. It teaches us, it convicts us. Lord, I pray that we will be about following you. Lord, that we will stand in awe and wonder of who you are, of your great plan for the world, created all things. You sent Jesus 
to redeem a broken world. And this Jesus died, was buried and rose again, defeating death and sin. And he sits at the right hand of God, making intercession for us. And we have hope that when we put our trust in this Jesus, we have hope that we will one day live for eternity with him. And we have hope that all, there will be no more sin that we have to deal with. We have hope that all tears and all sickness will be gone. We thank you, Jesus, for all you've done. May we follow you with all of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.